Yo, welcome to another episode of the Schizo Affected Sense. How y'all doing today? Good. Today, I'm going to share a story. So get your milk, your blankies, your cookies, and whatever else you use to snuggle with during story time. Do y'all remember story time? I passed out so hard in kindergarten when they whipped those books out, like, bam, sleep, just like that. I am 26 years old. And for the last five years of my life, I was working as a peer counselor at a residential peer-led mental health program. Uh, Let me explain what that is and kind of how I got there. So a peer respite house is a place for those with mental health issues to come and get respite, meaning a place for them to rest, a place for them to receive support through a crisis and from people who understand. All staff have lived mental health experience. That was the number one requirement for the job. We held our own meetings. We decided our own policies and procedures. We worked together as a team to keep the house running, grocery shopping, all that kind of stuff. Rather than call people clients, we considered them guests, which is more appropriate and homey for a regular house in a regular neighborhood, which we were. There's a van to take guests to appointments or go to the beach or wherever they want to go. It's it's really a beautiful place. And how did I start working there? Well, the year was 2016, the day non-existent. The night, though, was very active. This was before I had a diagnosis of schizo-anything, back when I stayed up all night listening to voices I didn't know were voices, believing I contacted and guided the spirit world, which I still believe to an extent, but only in spiritual practice. Um, I stayed up watching videos, doing homework, kind of, and looking for new jobs. You see, I'd run through about three in six months, leaving each one in a not-so-respectable manner. And one of the jobs I worked at was called Cash Control, um, at an amusement park, which is a non-fancy way of saying I counted fucking coins and made sure the vault stayed stacked with a good couple million every few hours. Uh, I filled the ATM machines and Omron machines, which are cash-holding machines, and made sure everything was in balance. I was completely unbalanced, though. My moods were swinging severely. I was still self-harming, usually cutting or burning myself. And I believe the workers were watching me after work, somehow through their cameras. I believe someone tried framing me by going into my bag and pulling out one of my supplements I took that was supposed to quote unquote help my anxiety and they placed it in the vault so I'd find it. I always kept my supplements either in my car or my bag in the locker outside of the main room. So I thought the girl who found it with me um, because she called it marijuana figured she was trying to get me fired. Um, Then I thought they were all trying to get me fired. So I fired myself in an email at three in the morning and was the talk of the cash room for the next three days. Uh, I fired myself via email. So, you know, I remember a significant period where my voices were trying to convince me death was coming. Uh, I stayed at my boyfriend's house one night and while everyone believes it's haunted, I don't think this was one of the ghosts. I heard some faraway laughter in the words dead man walking and I knew they were talking about me. A man with no face walked down the middle of the street and I ran to my car. I stayed up the rest of the night at home waiting for his facelessness outside of my window. He never showed up from what I remember. I don't know how I continued going to school. This is kind of when I started withdrawing from a lot of classes. At 3 a.m., I applied through Craigslist for a position entitled Peer Support Counselor for some place called Second Story. I'd never heard of them, even though they were only a mile or so from where I lived. They were very close. The job description was something about supporting people through their distress, and the number one qualification was lived experience. I'd been to several psychiatrists at that point, a couple therapists. I'd been called anxious, delusional, clinically depressed, diagnosed with PTSD, social anxiety disorder, major depression. I qualified as lived experience, but I had no idea what it meant to actually be in the mental health system here in Santa Cruz. So I applied. The next day, I got a call back from some guy who invited me to an interview and let let me tell you, 
When I walked up to this house, I was shaking in my shoes. I didn't know it was just a house in a regular neighborhood with a yard and trees, no locks on the doors and nothing that indicated a mental health facility. I asked myself what I got into. I knocked because that's how I was raised. You don't just walk into people's houses. And someone who I later learned was a guest um, opened the door and I said I was there for an interview. And she looked at me like, okay, and... Uh, she asked if it was for a job or to stay. And I said, for a job. And she said, oh, and left the door open. So I walked in. A dog started barking. Bark, 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 bark. I was a stranger, basically. A newcomer dressed in professional attire with a deer and headlights look spread across my face, sweating my makeup off. I probably looked fucking crazy. And that helped me out. I remember thoroughly embarrassing myself in the role play. I will forever hate that memory. And I refuse to recount that experience. I'm sorry. You, you, you don't get to hear that. I don't even want to think about it. Uh, at the end of the panel interview, which I had never been a part of before, the guy who talked to me on the phone, the one, and he eventually became a close friend, but he told me everyone's a family here, and that scared the living shit out of me. Family meant rage and terror and distrust. I knew family also meant closeness and to others and trust and is intimacy in a kosher kind of way, um, and I knew I didn't understand how to be with any of that, so I gulped and said, I'm down with that. I was surprised I was offered the job. And back then, intentional peer support was a huge training for us. It was the closest thing California offered to certified peer specialist training. I remember being so nervous because the room was full of adults I didn't know, and I didn't quite feel like an adult yet at 20 years old. I still had my childish mannerisms that were forced on me as a child, like speak when you're spoken to and no one gives a rat's ass what you have to say anyway. So I kept my mouth shut and only opened it when I had to, which included group role plays, my arc nemesis and the art presentation at the end of the week. I didn't make any friends, I didn't get to know my new coworkers, but I did kind of feel accomplished because I loved the way we looked at life through the lens of IPS. I loved paying attention to not only my own worldview and how it was formed, but others' worldview and how theirs were formed. Life is made up of compressed moments, if you really think about it, and they're experienced as a cohesive linear pathway. The thing is, how you see the world isn't linear. You think about your present and your future often. Your past can come back to haunt you. So our experience of the mental part of life is not linear. And IPS teaches you to hone in on that reality and see that when you're speaking with someone, they are coming from thousands upon thousands, if not millions upon trillions of compressed moments that have brought them to where they are. And maybe they're still experiencing some moments from the past or terrified of the moments of the future. So when you speak with them, you keep this in mind and realize we're all together in this pool of terror called life. Practically, though, IPS also teaches you how to relate to someone. It was a new form of communication for me because I never really talked to people. And when I did, I used jokes to form a bond. But in IPS, when someone says, I'm anxious today, your response doesn't come from a place of helping. It comes from a place of support. And so what that means is rather than immediately focus on a solution, which is what helping does, we focus on understanding and experiencing, which is what support does. We would first want to ask and find out what's making that person anxious. Maybe a question like, oh, what's got you anxious today? And when they reply with, I don't know, you might feel stuck. But then we go, I hate feeling anxious. I always get a tightness in my chest or like sweaty palms. What's it like for you? And we dive into the experience. At some point in the conversation, you may be well equipped with enough understanding to ask, what can I do to help with your anxiety today? But it's not always necessary. Sometimes just talking is what helps. That's what I learned. At age 20, I was just starting to understand how to talk to people. So when work started, it was a little harder implementing things. Um, I remember one instance in particular where a guest wouldn't put on some of the pants that we asked them to wear when they're checking in. Uh, we had to bed bug all of their 
uh, articles of clothing. We had to wash them. Um, all the stuff they brought in had to be separated um, with them. Uh, we didn't do it for them. We did it with them. Uh, but this particular guest was worried about the pants for some reason uh, that I don't remember. I didn't understand how to compromise. So I remember talking over her and raising my voice, which made her raise her voice. And we were in a yelling match before one of my coworkers came in and easily de-escalated the situation with IPS tactics. The guest apologized to me. I apologized to them. And I'm pretty sure the pants got worn. Putting things into practice is always harder than it looks, so I don't really blame myself for that, but that was the last time I ever talk yelled a compromise at work and in my personal life. I no longer focus on trying to win a conversation. I focus on only walking with or beside someone through their experiences, whether those experiences are good, bad, or ugly. I eventually worked my way off the on-call team to the part-time permanent squad and eventually to the full-time squad, which was very taxing on me, I noticed, especially during the pandemic. I started losing some of my enjoyment in what I did, and I started getting angry with people internally, and I wondered if my time with Second Story was up. kind of felt like I couldn't handle people's intensity any longer, but more importantly, I felt like I was losing myself. My entire life revolved around mental health. I woke up, went to work, talked about mental health all day, saw it on my Instagram, participated in it in the form of panels and conferences, wrote about it, listened to songs about it, and honestly, it kept me very sick. It was making me sick. I was tired of having my life constantly about whether I was well or not. And having to ask yourself that question every every day drives anyone insane. I was fraying at the edges a bit during this time anyway, because I was feeling the pressure of full-time work, which I'd never experienced before. Um, I had no time to myself, really. And the time I did have to myself was spent sleeping, eating, or trying not to fall asleep so I could finish my homework because uh, I was still in class. I stopped writing, I stopped reading, I stopped exercising, partly because I didn't have the time and also because I just didn't have the motivation for it. All of it went to, into work. So my boss suggested a vacation, which I took two weeks off, and the boyfriend and I headed up to Beachy Springs in Ukiah, California. If you have never been there, fucking go, bro. Just pack your shit right now and go right now. The mineral springs are to die for. They open up your capillaries or some shit, and you get these tiny bubbles all over your skin. I fell into a deep meditation in them. Uh, the beauty baths are heavy in boson or something, which make your skin soft and beautified. And there's a pool, there's cabins without televisions or distractions, some hiking paths to a waterfall. Really beautiful getaway. But during this time, I had texted my best friend and asked her what was up. I remember the night before she was texting me that she was really sick and thought it was some bad pork. I did the laughing face and said, bitch, don't die, because that's kind of how we talk to each other. I learned she died while sitting on the bed of an Airbnb. We were getting ready to go to the Mineral Springs, and I remember crying, of course, uh, a lot of crying and anger and sadness and shock and disbelief. And then I remember having therapy and not speaking a word about what happened. Her death is what showed me how valuable life is. We don't get many chances, even though it feels like things are unlimited. They're not. We're finite beings in this realm. Physically, we have a beginning and an end. I didn't leave Second Story because I was tired. I left Second Story because I realized change is what pushes you forward. I didn't think about that at the time. I tried sucking back the hurt and the pain that manifested as psychosis. I couldn't eat without feeling poisoned. I couldn't sleep because of voices and my anxiety told me I was going to die with each step I took. I couldn't make it through a day at work without crying or hiding somewhere or popping a clonopin. I wasn't holding it together as much as I wanted to. I broke down at work when I learned another member of the mental health community passed and the death made me think of never having another conversation with the person I spent 14 years of my life with. My manager suggested a leave. 
I didn't want to take it at first, but I took it. It was supposed to last three months. I think we're on month nine and I no longer work there. I didn't leave because I couldn't handle it. I didn't leave because I'm a quitter, even though it kind of feels like it. I left for personal growth. I left to experience life. I left because I understand now that there is no reason for me to focus so much on sickness. That impedes my wellness. I understand now that for me, advocacy lies in showing the world that someone on the schizophrenia spectrum can live a relatively normal, good life without constantly focusing on the experiences of the disorder. I don't need to say, oh, wow, look, I finished college despite psychosis. No, I just finished college. I happen to have psychosis during the time, but it doesn't define me. And since it doesn't define me, it doesn't need to be a part of my daily life. I'll always struggle in some way, and I'm at peace with that. What I don't need to do is add more fuel to the fire by constantly focusing on my experiences. For me, this is how I cope. I'm not ignoring it. I'm simply existing with it. I'm not existing beside it or outside of it or beneath it or above it. I'm existing with it. And that's why I created this podcast. We all need an outlet and I'm not perfect. So sometimes it's healthy to talk about my mental health, but it's certainly not going to be my life anymore. What do you all think? Take a moment and really consider what you want for your life and how you want to view things. Think about your own worldview, which is, you know, how you view the world and the moments that brought you to this moment. That's all I have time for today. Thank you for listening as always.